Greetings and salutations, folks. Welcome to episode 20 of the Cult Spark podcast. We've tackled some of the big summer movies in minicast this summer, but we haven't recorded a full episode since the end of April. But that all changes now as we are going to do a full hour where we discuss a number of topics, including the new Fantastic Four movie, Ant-Man, the new Mission Impossible, uh, and God only knows what else. My name is Bob Taylor. I'll be your host for the evening. As usual, I'm joined tonight by my cult spark brother-in-arms, Stuart Smith. Stu, we actually both just tore ourselves away from the Republican presidential candidate debate to record this. How did, how did we ever manage to do that? And speak for yourself. I caught a little bit at my parents' house and swiftly left. <laughs> you, you got in your car and sped away. At Pretty much. All well you can well do over the, the speed of... limit as you were tearing for your podcast, Mike. Got to find. I was on Twitter most of the time. It was making it manageable. But enough about that. Let's get into what we need to talk about. Uh, we're going to do sort of a summer wrap-up in this episode, and we're going to talk about a lot of the movies that we've seen this summer that we didn't cover in the minicast. But first, we're going to talk about a movie that we haven't seen yet, which is The Fantastic Four, the new sort of reboot of the Marvel property from Fox. Uh, we haven't seen it yet because it doesn't open yet. We're recording this, of course, on a Thursday. The mo- movie opens nationally tomorrow. There was a screening here I missed because of other obligations. I don't feel too bad about that. Um, I, I guess the first question is, Stu, and we're going to get into some stuff in a minute about uh, preconceived notions before movies open, but uh, do you want to see this new Fantastic Four at all? You know, i got to say that, leading up to this like leading up to this week i was pretty disinterested in watching it uh, but now that the reviews have come out and just eviscerated this thing combine that with like the few positive reviews that are out there i'm actually way more intrigued to see this now maybe not in the theater but to just to actually you know give it a shot at some point uh than i than i ever was before it's it's at like under 10% on rotten tomatoes so it, it's, eviscerated you know, is probably the correct it really is. Like, I mean, it's really kind of amazing. Well, here's what I want to talk about, because uh, there was a day – again, the movie doesn't even open. I'm not sure when – I'm sure the film will be out by the time this podcast is released. But as we are recording this, the movie has not opened. Actually, probably open now. There might have been Thursday night screenings tonight. But basically, the movie's not out until tomorrow. However, for the past four or five days, my Facebook feed and, you know, I'm friends on Facebook with a lot of movie nerds and we like to talk about our movies, but has just been swamped with posts bashing this movie and hating on this movie and just linked after linked after link of all this negativity around Fantastic Four. And it was really getting me worked up one day, like, why waste all the time and energy on this? Talk about good and, movies. And, go see a good movie. Forget movies altogether and, you know, go outside and do something or play with your kids or do something creative. Like, why all this energy trashing a movie that you haven't seen and isn't even out yet? Well, and, and you know, and it's not even not even just taking the energy to post about it and write about it and everything. Revel in it. People were enjoying watching this train wreck. Right, like it was a game. Like, right, it, right, exactly. Who can be the snarkiest and angriest about a film they haven't seen yet? Right. I mean, not you know, not that I haven't taken shots at movies that I haven't seen and stuff like that. And but yeah, it's just it was really it's really interesting how some people. And, and I kind of got that, like, I've, I've had this sense for a while that people have, and critics especially, uh, both professional and otherwise, have been looking for an opportunity to, like, really go after 
uh, a comic book movie. Like they just they want something in that sort of subgenre to just eviscerate. See, the thing, I, well, the thing is, while I am sure that's true of some critics, I sort of hate to paint the critical community at large with that kind of brush. Where, like, uh, the critical community at large is just waiting to jump on something regardless of what the quality of it ends up being. I think that's a little too harsh. I don't don't think... I I think a majority of us try to be... And I said us, but you don't even have to include me and you if you don't want to. (laughs) A majority of anyone who reviews movies online, either for pay or for fun, I don't think they're writing the reviews in advance in their head. A majority. Some do, but I don't think it's a majority. You know, I, I mean, sure, I don't think it's 90% of the critical community that's doing this. I think it's a fair argument. I just, I think it's a minority that's really doing that. Although I'm sure it happens. But yeah, that said, it's really it's really been interesting watching people just sort of dogpile on this thing. Well, I don't know what the benefit is. Like, I really don't understand. I mean, okay, fine, you take a couple pot shots. Yeah, this movie looks like garbage. Whatever, but then you go on. It's just, and and this is something that I've seen kind of happen with a lot of things, is that we, you know, social media has made it so easy to keep going back to these things, and and some of it, some of it is the fault of the studios, you know, who start trying to hype us up about these things, you know, literally years in advance. So I mean, it, part of the problem is I think that these things never leave us. So we're kind of left, well, what are we going to do? How else are we going to talk about this except, you know, to mock something that looks bad that we don't really know anything else about, if that makes sense. It does. I made a point on Twitter, and it was basically that I, I don't get hating hating a film I've never seen. I get being indifferent to it. I get assuming that it'll be terrible. Like, a friend of mine responded to a tweet and said, oh, come on, you know you hate uh what's the terrible adam sandler movie where he plays like a brother and sister jack and jill is that that's the adam sandler film i think Mm -hmm. but uh yeah my buddy's like oh you know you hate jack and jill without ever seeing it and it's like no i know i'm not interested in that movie i know it's probably almost assuredly bad as most adam sandler movies are but i feel like hate should be reserved for something you've seen and something that deserves it like hate Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for, you know, bringing that beloved character back over after all of those years and then just shitting all over the screen. Hate the Star Wars prequels. Hate if you if you're going to hate a film, hate something for what it could have been, as opposed to just these sort of nothing movies that you're never going to watch. And it's just just being different to them. But why get all worked up into a lather about something you've never seen? Exactly. Well, and something that you probably won't see. How many of these people are actually going to go pay money uh, to watch Fantastic Four this weekend or any weekend? None of them. Almost none of them. You'll have a few people that, you know, they like to go and watch this stuff because they're contrarians. But, yeah, I mean, the people that are that are really digging into this thing, it's like, okay, fine. Take your pot shots. Move on. Who cares? Seriously. Uh, There's probably one legit reason to for this movie to I guess get you a little worked up and that's the fact that it was made solely for contractual reasons that for Fox to hold on to the Fantastic Four license from Marvel they have to keep making Fantastic Four movies every so many years so I guess if you want to say I'm angry even even in this case angry sounds like a harsh word it's the fact that that this is one of the most cynical 
cynically made right. films of the entire summer. Right, but I guess if you want to say I'm angered because this is a property we'd like to see back at Marvel, and the only reason this film was made is so that Fox could hold on to it for a number of years, I guess that's a legitimate reason. But I don't. Right, see, but, that, but I don't see right. that brought up a lot. I don't that, see see that. No, that's the, that's not at the center of the. <laughs> that's not at the center of all the pot shots. It's oh, it's grimdark and. You know, Ben Grimm doesn't wear any pants, and you know this looks stupid or whatever. I mean, not. Again, I mean, and those are some of those are fair criticism, certainly. There's a and it, right, and it, there's a subtle difference between hating something and being skeptical based on the information you have. I don't hate Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. I'm just extremely skeptical of it. Based on the trailers, what I know Warner Brothers is trying to do there, some of the stuff I've read about the film. But I just think there's a line between hating something and being skeptical of it. Right. Um, I'm supremely skeptical of Fantastic Four, sure. Who wouldn't be? I, I honestly don't know when I'll see it. I never saw – the. You know, there were there were two previous Fantastic Four films. I hated the first. Well, there I use the word hate, but at least I have a reason there because I saw it. <laughs> but I strongly dislike the first one. I've never even seen the Silver Surfer one. And I don't have much of a desire to see this one. Maybe I catch it on pay cable, HBO or something down the road. Maybe. You know, you said you're almost curious because it's so reviled. I I don't really have well, that yeah, in I mean, me. Like, I, I I don't really get I, that. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not calling you out for this because I know a lot of people who feel this way. It kind of came up when um when Jupiter Ascending was out. People were saying, "Oh, that movie's getting such terrible reviews. I've got to see it." I don't really have that bone in me. I well, some of this is because you know I I think it's important to know to as much as as important as it is to understand why good films work. I think it's also important to understand why bad films work. That's fair. Uh, you know, I Especially actually, I, if you're an, a, a critic or a filmmaker right. or an aspiring critic or an aspiring filmmaker, certainly. Right. And, you know, and plus, I mean, I like some of these actors. I love Miles Teller. I love, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, I, I still think it was a great idea to cast Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. Yeah, so I mean, I think that I think that there are actually elements that I could enjoy, but I'm also just like I really am genuinely curious as to how bad this actually is, and if there and if there is anything worth salvaging, because I think that some of the I really do think that some of these reviews that I've read uh, have have enjoyed haven't enjoyed 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 it uh, <laughs> enjoyed dogpiling on it and just you know just wanted something to to sort of scrub along. Uh, I'm curious if there is anything worth salvaging. And to me, I think that, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, you know, that that's worth investigating. I don't know if I'm going to go pay eight, ten, twelve dollars whatever to watch it in the theater, but I'll, you know, I'll pop it on when it comes on Netflix. Again, if I could have caught my screening, I probably would have wasn't too upset that I couldn't. Uh, I, I don't know when I'll see it. Stu, you'll have to report back to us on a future cast and let <laughs> us know if you get to see it. Um, but to our point earlier, why talk about bad films or films we don't care about when there are legitimately great films to talk about that came out this summer? We haven't done a mini – the last film we mini-casted, I believe, was Jurassic World, which me and you both – I think we can use the word hated for that film. <laughs> Correct, Stu? I think it qualifies there. 
Oh, absolutely. But uh, but since then, the summer kind of, you know, got really good at the end, uh, most notably with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Ant-Man, which I wrote reviews for both of them at the site, cultspark.com, and I know you really enjoyed them as well, correct? I, I did. I enjoyed both of them thoroughly. I think that overall, I mean, yeah, there's been there's been some definite crap and some real... Uh, real stink bombs this summer, but I think overall it's been a, I think it's been a strong summer. Uh, I you know I think there's there are some all timers in this summer, which is something that you can't always say. I think Mad Max Fury Road and Inside Out are the two that I would say could be considered all timers. Don't think I could give it to Ant Man and Mission Impossible, although I really liked both of them. And Ant Man isn't an all timer. I think Ant Man is a great. Uh, you know, solid B tier flick, which is fine. And I think that actually, I mean, most summers would do well to have a lot of, of B tier stuff pad out the season, you know, because obviously everything can't be triple A material. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, having having smaller, literally and figuratively, hmm. um, and character wise. <laughs> You're so clever, Stu Smith. I am. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, you know, having stuff like that to to you know, to pat out in between the, the really huge stuff is, is necessary. So, I mean, uh, I think that's part of what makes this such a great, such a strong summer is the fact that we've had uh, stuff like that. I, you know, I would be willing to put Mission Impossible uh, as an all-timer for the summer movies myself. I know you don't agree with me, but, uh, yeah, I'm throwing that glove down, Bob Taylor. The problem there is that Mission Impossible Rogue Nation is not the best in its own franchise, but it so, is though, and that's that's where you're so wrong. Um, ah. All right, go give us your Mission Impossible franchise rankings, Stu. Go ahead. Lay okay, it out. Uh, ranking ranking goes uh, uh, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol. You know what? Actually, no. I'm you're, I'm going to infuriate you with this. I'm going to put the first one uh, above Ghost Protocol. It's <sighs> insanity. It's going to go Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible. Ghost Protocol, MI3, and then MI2. So, uh, 5, 1, 4, 3, 2 is your Mission Impossible right. code. That is correct. And whereas I would go 4, 5, 3, 2, 1, which has been the subject of much ridicule on Facebook. And that's insane! The that fact that you give. put the second one above the first, There's, you're out of your mind! Let me make what some, is wrong with you? Let, let me make some qualifications here. One, I haven't seen either of the first two in a long time. Now, I have seen them both multiple times, but it's been a while. So, are they due for a reassessment? Perhaps. I think you will find two insufferable now. Um, I really think that. I think... If I were to go back and watch, and and I, I've seen Ghost Protocol and the third one recently. Those are the three I really like. As far See, as I'm, I'm concerned, the Bad Robot Mission Impossibles, which is three, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, that's like the Mission Impossible trilogy for me. Those are the fantastic Mission Impossible movies. Those are the three everybody should I, watch. I, I can agree with that, even though I love the first one. I, um, I can agree with that. And, because, and, and, and here's why. Because those three are about, are about a team. Correct. And the first one, as much as okay, the first one is a great movie. It's not necessarily a great Mission Impossible movie, but I, I just, I love it so much as a movie uh, that I'm willing to make that exception. But yeah, I mean, as movies that are exemplars of uh, Mission Impossible as, as an idea, as a concept, then yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely fair. Uh, 
Correct. And what I was going to say is, uh, the again, I, I've seen them multiple times, haven't seen them in a long time. I know my takeaways from the original one were, well, first of all, I was a fan of the show, specifically the 80s revival. I don't even know if you remember this. You may be too young. You might not care. But Mission Impossible had an 80s revival series with Peter Graves in the league and, lead and all that in the 80s, right. which I was a pretty big fan of. It ran... It wasn't a huge hit, but I, I think it, without looking it up, I think it ran three or four or five years. And I was a fan. And, you know, so the movie comes out, and you're right. They totally lose the team aspect, basically, in that first movie. Uh, well, they kind of they kind of do. Like, well, they, lose, they lose... Compared to the show lose, and compared right, to the last they, three... There's still, still a team. But it's not the focus at all. Right. And teamwork yeah. is not right. the focus at all. Um, this is very... It's very much the Tom Cruise show. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot – I remember when it came out, there was a lot of debate and angry people about uh, uh, – what's Peter Graves' character's name? Jim uh, Phelps. Yeah, the Jim Phelps, as played by John Voight in the movie, who was the hero of the show, ends up being the villain. Uh, I don't remember being angered by it or wanting to, you know, write nasty letters to anybody, but I remember thinking, ah, that's kind of a cheap twist. And I just remember the plot being incomprehensible and – just asinine, basically. I don't remember being wowed by any of the narrative aspects of the first Mission Impossible. I like the CIA break-in. If I'm flipping around a Mission Impossible's on cable and it's the CIA break-in, I'll watch. But, I think the CIA break-in is better than the Burj Khalifa scene. But that, that's gonna, like the only memorable action sequence in that movie. I know there's a train one that I think looks very blue screeny. It does, but it, uh, eh, I'm not going to hold that against it. And Who's the, really going to be able to film on a bullet train? Uh, I mean, okay. come on. I, you know what? I think Tom Cruise today. I think he does. Uh, he would if it was Tom Cruise today. Yeah. He would he would find a way. But Tom Cruise then uh, was not yet insane <laughs> enough. But Tom Cruise of then didn't want to please us as much as Tom Cruise of now does. Tom Cruise of now works so hard to please everyone, and it's amazing. And then the second one came out. And it also, even maybe more so, eliminates the team stuff than the first one does. It, to an almost comical degree, but, like you actually, you actually wonder why he even brought these other people in. They don't do anything. But I remember liking the plotting better, and I remember the action scenes all had that John Woo sheen, and were much a much more enjoyable watch. It's kind and, of a dumb action movie, but well, I think it's an marginally enjoyable dumb action. movie. Well, and see, like I, I hate going back to it now because, like that was that was the first John Woo movie that I ever watched, mm -hmm. and that that's pretty much the only reason why I. I don't completely hate it because even even John Woo at his worst is still you know kind of fun uh, as far as the action goes. And well, I mean, so if, we know if the you, man if you, can if, make, listen, we know the man can make big dumb American action movies that are still great because we have Face Off. Right. So. Well, and we have Hard Target. Of, don't well, you had to get the Van Damme, one, of course. But <laughs> of course, on. of course. Um, you know, but it's just uh, it's so dull. So much of the movie is dull, and Doug Ray Scott is just hilarious just absolutely hilarious as the villain Listen, um, villains have never been a strong point of the series and villains have never, never been a strong point of this of this series but it it's and, kind of like he's probably he is by far the most prominent villain uh out of this entire series even but just because even, of the even preposterousness of him <laughs> right. The, yeah, okay. <laughs> right 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 so, see that's the thing because a lot of people ghost protocol is by far my favorite i mean i basically think it's a perfect action film rogue nation's really good if you haven't seen it go see it it's really fun it's the second best in the franchise it's not nearly as smart 
as Ghost Protocol. See, I disagree with that. Which, I, I, I rewatched it again the other night after I had seen Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol. I still love Ghost, Ghost Protocol. I still think it's great. It's a lot of fun, but it has it has sig- significantly diminished. Again, there film. are scenes in that movie that are thrilling that are not action scenes. And again, the whole Dubai sequence. And you say Dubai, and everybody thinks of him hanging offside the building. But just the logistics that go into them when they're trying to steal the launch codes that are being swapped between two villains. It's so smart. I love that stuff. It's it's such an intricately plotted machine that movie and i just i love it so much but you know one of the heavy criticisms about that film is well the bad guy sucks the villains suck and it's not necessarily not true i mean that's accurate but have these people watched the rest of the series (laughs) because none of the villains that's almost besides the point of the series i don't even really see it as a detriment to these movies is the villain in rogue nation better yes i think so but He's not Hans Gruber. I mean, it's not a great villain. Well, but he doesn't see, get that, a ton. He, he probably though. gets more screen time. No one than, is Hans Gruber. That I mean, I know, that, but he's not even. That's an almost impossible. Uh, well, I mean, uh, would you call the guy in Rogue Nation memorable? Uh, we should look his name up. IMDb his name too. We're selling the guy short. I think it's Sean. Sean Harris. Sean Harris. Yeah. Who played, interestingly enough, uh, one of the idiot scientists uh, who get bit by the snake alien in Prometheus? Really? Oh wait, you never you never saw Prometheus. I haven't. Oh never. man. Oh man. Don't feel like I'm missing out from what I hear. No, you're you really really not. Uh, but it's actually strange because I I I could not. Uh, rem- you know, place where I remember that guy from, and it was it was so strange to realize. Anyway, it, anyway, is, is Sean um, Har- listen? Is Sean Harris good in Rogue Nation? Sure, it's kind yeah. of neat that he has some in that grand action film tradition. He has some sort of memorable underlings that our heroes have to contend with. But he, this is not a world class villain. I mean, they're I like they're I like that he looks like an evil Simon Pegg. I think that's great. <laughs> He's serviceable. Maybe uh, was it Michael pronounce his last name for me in Ghost Protocol? Nyquist, Nyquist. I have Nick Nyquil. I have no idea. The Nyquist. Yeah, I, the guy from John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's not. He he's he's fine. He's not in Ghost Protocol that much. But it's besides the point. The point is how the team works together. And I I just I just think the 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 villains are besides the point in the series. And if you're gonna charge Ghost Protocol with having weak villains, you have to charge them all. And I just I don't think Ghost Protocols protocol is hurt that much by it but i think i think that ghost protocol is is a movie that is great in the individual moments but as a cohesive whole it it has diminished quite a bit for See, me. strangely and i feel like it's more cohesive whereas rogue nation is just a bunch of really good action scenes stacked up with this sort of on top of this this spine that's just sort of a generic oh let's go get the hard drive with with a see, list see, on it see how that's ma- pretty much how that's many much action how I, spy movies do i have to sit through where they're trying to recover a hard drive with a list on it how probably many this, do? probably the same number that in with them miraculously stopping uh, you know, a nuclear strike at the very last <laughs> second, like Ghost Protocol. Well, there, that, that's I, literally listen, what happens. I know exactly what I, happens. If if my my the only the only place I'm really drawing a line is when you try to bring Mission Impossible One up with these other ones, because it's to so me there there is a massive massive gap between five, four, and three. And two and one between the yeah. latter three oh, and the first two, mind. there is a huge gap in quality. No. Huge. No. Go back. You need to go back. I will. And I'll go back. I, I. 
I, I think the best case scenario is that I rewatch those first two movies and say, yeah, Mission Impossible 2 is pretty dumb. Maybe Mission Impossible 1's a little better. There's almost zero chance I'm going to say, man, these movies are just as good as the bad robot ones. It's not going to happen. But overall, I have really good feelings about this series now. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's in a really, really I think it's in as, as good a place as it's ever been. I mean, I, I like four uh, slightly more than five, but in general, they get better and better. And as long as Tom Cruise doesn't age, keep making them. Which that's, man, that's the freakiest thing. Going back and watching the first one, he is a tiny, a tiny kid. baby. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's actually kind of funny because, I mean, like, you know, he, I mean, he's aged better than probably any other star in Hollywood. But, but I mean, he just he looks like he's twelve in this movie by comparison. Well, it just it goes to show how long the series has been around now. I mean, well, yeah, and that's years. the crazy I mean, thing. That's I mean, like early, that, the movie, that film's like early nineties, right? Is nineteen ninety six is when it mid, came out. Mid nineties, okay. So, Back when Emilio Estevez was still relevant enough to right at enough least to make get, the first ten minutes. Right, <laughs> he still has one of the all time great cinematic deaths. I think it's good. With the, with the elevator and the yeah. and the metal. I, I, oh, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. So anyway, well let's let's talk a little bit more about about Rogue Nation because I really just had so much fun with this. Right. I I think that it just it I to me this this feels more like an identifiable and this is part one of the reasons why I like it so much. Like I watch Rogue Nation, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is a Chris McQuarrie uh, joint. I mean, this this absolutely feels like the like a, a film it, that was made by the guy who made Jack Reacher. It's whereas, a little grittier, a hair less slick than the past two, in a good way, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the things that really sets it apart. It just, you know, it it moves at such a great clip. Uh, you know, it's got some really great. Uh, I, you know, I, I I think that its action scenes are. While nothing ever tops the Dubai sequence, just in terms of sheer spectacle, although that's a sequence that doesn't play at home anywhere, even half as well as it did in the theater. Well, you could say that about a lot of movie, you know, big action movies shot for IMAX, but okay. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I just I don't know, I just love the energy that this thing has uh, from start to finish. I love Rebecca Ferguson's character. She's really I think good. I love she's everybody. Fantastic. In it. I mean, the, yeah, every, everybody's it's... having a lot of fun. Um, I, I never it's... thought, I never thought that I would uh, one say, oh look, Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg are a recurring team in movies, much right. less. They're a great team. I mean, that to me, that's just that's probably the most unexpected pairing. It's funny because uh, Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt, the character, gets a lot of shit for not being a character at all, for basically just being a Tom Cruise avatar, essentially. Right. You know, for being a Tom Cruise stand-in. But right. it doesn't much matter with these movies because the actors have such chemistry and play off each other so well. Well, and, and there's this sense of camaraderie and like, you know, just family among these people i you know what it almost feels like the way fast and furious feels now where we spent so many movies with some of these guys with ving Rams, right. all of them that it feels like this family and and, and the the emotions well, see, the emotions seem real between character and character and between actor and actor and it just makes it a, it just makes it so much fun to watch well and i think that that's one of the things that tom cruise really deserves more credit for because i mean remember he's he he really is the guiding force for this whole thing uh, along with uh, Paula Wagner, his producing partner. I mean, he he's the one who shepherds the scripts. He's the one who shepherds the development of these movies. And uh, you know, for the last several films, I mean, from three, three, three through five, 
he has made sure that these that he surrounds himself because I think he's finally figured out okay, you know this is what works, this is what's good. It you know these don't need to just be my starring vehicles. Uh, and he's surrounded himself with great personalities and great characters. I just love uh, the fact that, that that work together well. And I, I I think that that's something that you know really needs to kind of be uh, be pointed out here because I mean that's not something that a lot of other uh, huge action stars would would a focus on or be allow uh, in something like this. I love the fact that they brought Renner back, and not just because I'm a big Renner fan, which I am, but like which he, I don't... he didn't need to come back for this movie. He really it's didn't. Like, I think at least the word when when Ghost Protocol came out, the word was that they were kind of setting him up to maybe be the new lead of that series. Right. Cruise which... left because box office people liked Mission Impossible three, but box office was way down for that one. Right. And there was some talk that maybe they'd be they'd be creating Ghost Protocol was set up to be a passing the baton film. Well, right. well that didn't happen. Everybody loved Ghost Protocol. Box office rebounded. Cruise never ages. They weren't going to need to pass that torch. Renner's got other franchises. He's a very busy dude. But whether it went down like this or not, I just feel like Cruz is like, you know what? Renner's fun to have on these movies. And Renner's like, you know what? These movies are fun to do. And he doesn't even have that good a part. I mean, he doesn't. Right. He's got some scenes with Baldwin, and he doesn't really get involved in, in with the action until the second half. And he's really not in. Really, the car chase is the only big action sequence he gets to take part in. But I feel just like he's he, these actors understand the quality of these movies. And it's like, you know what? It's fun to hang around with Cruz, and it's fun to do this. Let's go. Well, and he, well, you know, I mean, he, actually, I he actually gets some of the better comedic moments and oh, stuff. He's hilarious. That's one of the reasons I love Renner. He has this dry comic timing that is just incredible. But yeah, you're right. Also, you would think that bad guys would learn by now. It doesn't matter the movie, any movie. Pick a movie. Pick a movie that involves Tom Cruise and motorcycles. Just keep him away from a motorcycle. Why <laughs> would you let Tom Cruise get on a motorcycle? Yeah, it just it doesn't it's make bad sense. Bad news. I. I I abs- I mean, this is this is one of the parts that I just keep going back to in my mind. I absolutely love that motorcycle chase. I just, I it's shot. I, I think it's fantastic. So well, I, uh, you know, I love. You don't normally get a, a great sense of speed that feels natural in motorcycle chases, uh, but like the helmet cam stuff it blows that, that your before, hair back. Oh dude. man, it's so great. You know, and it's like you know, I mean, most most car chases are filmed at the speed limit more or less. Um, believe it or not. Right. But like, but like with this, I mean, you couldn't make some of those turns the way that they were doing them unless they were going at that speed. So it's just, it's just great. It's man. I want, I really want to see it again. I agree entirely because the car chase, which is also pretty the, the, the car sequence, which I guess you might car sequence through the alley, through the alleyway, yeah, cars in the alleys, and then the motorcycles going to join that, and there's some really great comedic beats, and then that kind of runs into the motorcycle sequence, right? And that whole stretch is it's wonderful. Like that has that has some of the best comedic bits, you know, and yeah, it, it, it's just it's great. It's right. absolutely great. It's a great flick. Macquarie did a great job. Again, as long as Cruz can do it, they need to keep making these. Uh, Stu, let's circle back around and talk about Ant Man a little bit, which we were hoping to mini cast would never worked out on our schedule, but we both we both liked Ant Man better than Avengers: Age of Ultron, correct? Yeah, overall, I I liked Ant Man better than uh, I than did Age too. Of and I still really like Age of Ultron. Like, there's still a lot that I that I uh, look back, you know, well on. I'm I will buy it and watch it again. Uh, but Ant Man just Ant Man really surprised me. I think this was the perfect sort of you know antidote to uh, let's save the world, which it's I, I can't remember the last time that we got a superhero film uh, 
uh, that didn't revolve around, uh, you know, saving the world from someone. Right. Well, I mean, it's much smaller in scale, both. <laughs> both I, too many people have made that joke and i shouldn't have just now but it's but it's true it's sort too of bad like bob you're the, fired the the movie's themes match the movie's plot and it's kind of nifty and it was really funny like i was you know i was expecting you don't hire paul rudd and then not get at least some great comedic moments I, but i i mean this this could almost be billed as a like a full-on comedy you know honestly it's, i thought it was really funny and I, but i came out wishing it was funnier Honestly, I think really? they could have gone more in the. Not that anything that they were. Right. Not that anything that. I'm not saying that stuff was intended to be funny that wasn't. Everything that was intended to be funny was funny. I just wish they'd gone even more in that direction, maybe. I, you know, I think it maybe could have been funnier, but I mean, I we know was... there are the scenes from the trailers where he's sort of mocking the Ant Man name and stuff, and none of that is actually in the film. Right. So there were more comedy stuff. There was more comedy stuff shot. I think you're right. I mean, I I think it it could have been funnier, but I think it was it was the right the right amount of funny. I mean, Rudd's really funny. Pena's really funny. I want Michael Pena back for every Marvel movie. Just like bring him in for a couple minutes at the intro, like to catch people up on the previous films, or like if it's a new character, you know, just have him do one of his little hot tip stories. Let me tell you what I love, and we're going to spoil the hell out of the end of this now, so if you have not watched Ant-Man, turn this off now. But the final moments of that movie where it's Pena telling the, Pena telling the story, and it's just like rapid fire. You get the best Stan Lee cameo ever right. in that sequence. Uh, you get uh, Falcon. You get Falcons back in that sequence, correct? He's great. It's and, just like a yeah. little blip of a thing, and but Anthony Mackie kills it. It there. is absolutely. It might be my favorite final sixty seconds of a Marvel movie. It honestly oh, might be. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Like, the movie. Those, I mean, those, it, man, the movie well, kind of goes out on a joke, but it's such a perfect joke. Well, and and those moments just killed in in the crowd that I was a part of. And I mean, his out of like, I mean, the the movie was successful. It got a lot of laughs, but I mean, those those got everyone laughing. It is a minor Marvel film. It's minor in terms of box office. It's minor that, in terms of importance to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's minor in is it's not as good as the best Marvel movies. It's not as good as Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not as good as the first Avengers. It's not as good as Winter Soldier. But I feel like it's the kind of movie Marvel needs to make once in a while. They absolutely. Can, they can't all be big, gigantic Avengers and Civil War and Winter Soldier and these cataclysmic world-shattering movies they have to go smaller sometimes just to sort of break it up and i think this it was especially after the you know overindulgences of age of ultron i think this was the perfect time for that type of movie well and this you know this is sort of like i mean this is part of the reason why marvel comics were always so good uh especially at their height is that they weren't just about saving the world and you know massive nasty villains and huge action scenes i mean part of what made and continues to make Marvel comics so good is their ability to focus on that personal stuff. And that's, that's what this movie really is. This is by far the most personal, uh, of the Marvel films that's out there. The stakes, you know, the stakes are very, are very personal. And I think that that's, I mean, that's part of what makes it so interesting. 
I'm not sure if we'll get an Ant-Man 2. I'm not sure if the box office warrants it, but I really... I think we will. I really hope I, that... I think it'll be it'll be a long ways off, but I, I think we'll eventually I, get it. I, I just hope that Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly get to come out for some of these other movies and play. And we know I, we know Rudd's going to be in Civil War. Right. But... I would, I would imagine at the very least we'll see them as part of like an action scene... Uh, in Infinity War, because oh, they're just well, going to bring I, everyone in for that. You know what? I'm glad you thought about that. You brought this up because I've been meaning to mention this forever. I am positive, and I mean positive, that you're going to get that one scene in the Avengers: Infinity War Part Two that replicates. You know how when you read the big event comics, there's the big double splash page right it's like all the heroes on one side and all the villains on the other side and all they're running colliding. at each other or whatever you are going to get that scene in the avengers infinity war part two and it's going to include daredevil and the agents of shield guys everybody who has ever appeared in an mcu marvel property they are going to shoot 10 seconds of footage of them in front of a green screen and they're going to spend six months putting them all in the frame <laughs> for that shot. I mean, don't you think it's a certainty that that's going to happen? Oh, absolutely. I would put every money on it. And you're going to be able to buy the Blu-ray six months later and freeze frame it and literally find every hero who's popped up in these films and TV shows. I mean, it's got to happen. It's got to. Oh, absolutely. You know, Sky from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be there. Regardless of what you watch, what you don't watch, what you like, what you don't like, they're all going to be there. I, I'm going to be, I'm at the point where it's going to be, I'm going to be disappointed if that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, why else? You don't even have to explain it. Just Daredevil needs to be there. Maybe not the villains. We don't, you know, you don't need Kingpin popping in from the right side of the screen. But we need to have all our hero, all our MCU heroes together. So, uh, I mean, they'll at least be there at that capacity, but especially with, uh, I really liked Evangeline Lilly in it, and yeah. you know she needs to put that suit on and kick some ass. You know, there's all the talk about you know gender diversity in these comic book movies, and we need more women heroes. Which, as the father of two daughters, I absolutely agree with. Yeah. And you know we've had Black Widow, and even though the internet went crazy over <laughs> how that character was realized in Age of Ultron, I personally was fine with it. I thought she was written. Fairly consistently, I think she's still a strong female role model after seeing that movie. I I can't remember if we discussed this. Did this con- did that controversy happen before our Age of Ultron minicast or after? Do you remember? I think it was happening in the middle of it, so I we mean, might not have addressed it too much. But I, I don't as, think we addressed it. As far as I'm concerned, Black Widow is still a solid Marvel feminine role model, but she's just one character. Right. So you know we need what's her name, Janet? Uh, the, uh, no, no. Uh, straighten me out on this, Stu. No, Jan- Janet Van Dyne is the original Wasp. Okay. I can't I can't remember it's it's Pim is Evangeline Lily's last name, but I can't remember Hope Hope Dyne or Hope Pim. See my comic Hope well, Pim. On one hand, my comic credentials are kind of going down the drain here, but on the other hand, they have done some switcheroos with character names and right. com- and you know yeah yeah. So we're the we'll just call her the Wasp too. But right. You know, we uh, maybe not in our own movie, maybe maybe not an Ant Man sequel. Although I'll take it, but we need we need to see the Make, Wasp take flight. Give give us give us uh, an Ant Man and the Wasp screwball comedy. Yeah, and that and you know? that's the title, Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, there you go. You know, Evangeline Lilly's It's about damn time. Her line at the end there. I mean, that's just 
I mean, I'm hoping that that's a mission statement. Right. I mean, that's such a cool little scene because it works in the context of the movie and then it has the whole sort of meta aspect to it of how right. we – Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty great. You know what else was pretty great was seeing uh, Haley Atwell show up in the first – that, that yeah. opening scene. I, I Going in, I had no idea that there were going to be all these familiar faces in Ant-Man. I honestly guessed that it would be largely divested of the rest of the MCU at right. but it wasn't at all. Um, yeah, I, cer- I certainly didn't. Uh, I certainly didn't expect them to bring John Slattery back. It. Uh, we talked about this before uh, online, Stu, but it cracks me up how when you see Peggy Carter, it's always Haley Atwell, and she's right. sometimes she's in, she's in the old lady makeup, she's in the really old lady makeup, but it's always Haley Atwell. Whereas Howard Stark, we have multiple actors playing him in the timeline, and it's not like this was some grand plan to do it this way. They just kind of accidentally backed into that's how right. it worked out. So it, it just it it just kind of amuses me that we can see. You know, putting this MCU together and all these different movies and all these different properties, you're eventually going to run into some sort of weird situations that need to be hastily stitched up or dealt with the best that you can. You know, and, you know, the recasting is part of that. We've had a couple characters recast in the MCU. But, yeah, part of it is we have Haley as Peggy forever, but uh, some of these other characters, the actors can change. It just makes me – I'm not saying this is a bad thing right. and annoying. I'm not annoyed by it. I don't want to be a comic book nitpicky guy. No, it's totally fine. It just makes me laugh a little bit. Although, which Howard Stark is your favorite, Stu? Choose. Uh, you know, I, oh, oh, come on, Slattery. It's got to be Slattery. I mean, I like Dominic Cooper. I think he's – Did think you watch doing... all of Agent Carter? I did. I did. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's You know, it definitely has a lot of room for improvement, but I liked it. Uh, I love okay Haley Atwell. I think I'd go. I think I'd go Slattery, too. They uh, seem fine. They're fine, but I mean, it's John Slattery. I mean, come on. Um, what I know, what I loved the most was the the de aging special effects on Michael Douglas. It looked good. That was amazing. Um, like I was, I was, you know, it's a it's a far cry from that from whatever they tried at the beginning of of X Men Last Stand with. Uh, uh, yeah. See here, <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say Tron Legacy, and I actually think the Tron Legacy stuff is pretty good. Yeah, it's the, I think that's fine. Like um, I don't, I don't have the problem with it. The you're right. The last stand de aging is dicey as shit. It's really bad. I, I try not to get too nitpicky over CGI, and and which is why I think people kind of talk shit about the de aging. And Tron Legacy is not a good movie. I mean, the de aging no, is the oh least God, of no. its concerns. Right. But um, no, you're right. Especially because uh, you know, Michael Douglas is an actor who's so much in our consciousness. I mean, we all know exactly what Michael Douglas looked like. In that time period, right when he or, was, or what he would have looked like, you know, twenty at years that ago. Age. Yeah, at that age, and yeah, I mean, it was pretty seamless. Um, the Falcon stuff was really fun. I like that there were only two really, you know, there were two superhero fight scenes in this movie, and one of them was sort of good guy versus good guy that was sort of playful and funny, and then one of them was the throwdown with the yellow jacket at the end, which still wasn't over the top, had a lot of comic comedic beats in it, was more of a personal fight. The use and, of the Cure song is still brilliant. Yes, good stuff. I saw um, <laughs> I saw an interview where Peyton Reed was complaining about people were uh, giving giving credit to Edgar Wright. Yeah, they for were that? they were giving credit to Edgar Wright. He's for like, that the was Cure the first song. album I ever bought. And Peyton Reed's like, fuck, that's all me. That's me. That's like the one thing he was adamant. It, it doesn't seem like he cares so much about what right. credit goes where, as long as people like the movie. But you could tell that one. He's like, no, well, that's actually, that's that, me. That's what's really interesting about this is that. 
Uh, you know, especially after reading the really in depth. If you haven't read this, I highly recommend it. Uh, even though you have to give hits to Ain't It Cool News, uh, Jeremy Jeremy Smith over there did a great two part in depth interview with Peyton Reed. Uh, and really, I mean, so much of the stuff that I love about this movie came from uh, Peyton Reed and from the rewrites that uh, that Paul Rudd and Adam McKay did. Uh, like all the st- all the stuff with Luis, uh, you know, and his hot tips and all that. Right. That that was Peyton Reed. That was not Edgar Wright, which is strange because that that seems like the thing that would be the most Edgar Wright esque. Right. Uh, in this movie. Well, again, box office is okay. It's not great. A lot of people haven't seen it. It's if fine. You, if, it's it's made back if, its money. But if you haven't seen it, you should. Um, it's okay. I'm gonna sum up. I'm gonna sum up my summer for you, Stu. This is this is where I'm coming into it from i think fury road and inside out or are your you can consider those all timers although interestingly i don't think i'd say either is a perfect movie but they're both pretty damn close i mean they're basically think, they're basically four and a half stars out of five nine out of tens they're they're close they're they're great 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 movies um i will almost assuredly own both of them on blu-ray uh, then those are going to be followed by Rogue Nation and Ant-Man, which are both really good, if not great. Step down, but still great. Then underneath those, uh, we've got Avengers Age of Ultron and Tomorrowland, which I think only I saw, or me or like 10 I other never, people. Yeah, I never, I never got around. Um, to, both good, but with major issues. I like both of those films. Tomorrowland, I... I probably never have the desire to watch it again it mostly shits the bed at the at its ending the first half of it's really strong some of the character works really strong and it's a lot of fun it's just it's it, you know I, I think a lot of the trailers and stuff sold it as this uh you know big high ideal science fiction film right when it's just a lot of fun for the first hour yeah and um there's a great character named athena i don't i don't think i i almost don't want to spoil it because nobody's seen this movie and everybody's going to be <laughs> discovering it on video there's a there's a young character named athena played by a child actress who was pretty much left out of the advertising because there are specific twists involving her character and she's fantastic and the actress who plays that part is and i should look up her name which i'm going to do right now because i feel like i'd be doing her disservice so let me do that and uh, where's she at? Uh, Raffi Cassidy is the girl who plays this character named Athena. One of the best child performances I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Lindelof got a Lindelof, <laughs> and it pretty much falls apart at the end, and a lot of the big ideas that the movie introduces goes nowhere. So, still enjoyed, but had problems that in the Avengers. And then on the lower rung of things... We have Jurassic World and Terminator Genesis. Have you did you see Terminator Stu? I didn't. I almost did, but I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. Those two movies, the less we speak of, the better. Uh, at least it, for one of them, Terminator, of course, the low box office returns hopefully means we get to be done with that now. That we will no longer be beating james cameron's dead horse and trying to i think, I think we'll i think we'll get another one really i think we'll get another one eventually i mean there there is there is too much brand recognition there for it to completely disappear forever i think it'll be probably another five years or whatever before they try uh but i i i seriously I, doubt that this is the last that we'll see of it's that. so weird because it's it's 
I want to disagree with you, and it's I just want to say, Stu, the movie didn't make money. It's really bad. There's no way, but but brand recognition is all Hollywood cares about now. Yeah. So maybe you're right. It's funny because I used to and say, it, and it'll and this will be this will be like a total reboot. Like they'll they'll well, get someone other than Arnold to play the Terminator and all of that, and it'll be just it'll just be a completely. I mean, they may still use the you know Kyle Reese and and the Connors and whatever. Uh, but it'll, you know, it, it won't have Arnold, and it'll be something, something, quote unquote, totally new. It's funny because I was just gonna say, way before this movie was even announced, like after Terminator Salvation came out, I said that the the only thing they can do with the series now is a complete reboot. And for a long time, I was betting that's the next big reboot that's gonna happen. They're gonna, there's nothing else to do with the story. They're just gonna do the first Terminator again from scratch. But the new movie kind of does that i mean it does its thing like you know it 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 pulls the the jj abrams star trek thing where it technically stays in continuity to the original series but it also reboots it by starting back at the beginning so to do a reboot immediately after a film that kind of serves as a reboot of that first story would be it would it would be really desperate i mean it would reek of desperation i think um, they should go back to TV. Sarah Connor Chronicles was really good. As far as the Terminator franchise is concerned, the only thing I, the only things I care about are Terminator, T2, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. That's it. But it worked on TV. Maybe try that again. I don't. I don't care. I. I mean, that's a movie we could argue should have been one and done. It was a singular original vision. It didn't need a sequel. James Cameron had the clever idea to, you know, flip Arnie from the Ar- the Arnold ter- Terminator from bad to good in the second one. It kind of got by on that novelty and by these cutting-edge special effects, the CGI that no one had seen at the time. But I don't think it was a necessary movie to make, and certainly none of the sequels after that have been necessary. But again, right. like you say, it's a brand. Yeah, it's a brand. It's They'll got keep going toys and comic books. And yeah. and the worst thing is it's this neutered brand. Because let's not forget that the original Terminator is this hard R, you know, gritty genre action movie that's borderline a horror film. It's basically a slasher movie. I'd put, I'd put it more as a horror film than, right. than, than anything else. And over the course of these films, it's turned into this PG-13 enterprise with, you know, arcade games and, and uh, yeah, it's... Not good things have happened to that series, Stu. Not good things. Uh, did I forget any? Did you see any films this summer that I did not? No, I don't think that I did. I've been trying to think of. I mean, I mean that's I've, the big there's ones. been a there, there's been a lot of stuff that I uh, that I missed. Like I wanted to, uh, I I meant to get around to watching Spy, but I never did because I heard a lot of really good stuff yeah, about we didn't, that. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the comedies, which are that and uh, the Amy Schumer one. Train wreck. Train, I, I really enjoyed Trainwreck. I thought that I haven't was really, seen it, so tell us about Trainwreck. I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, there, it's it's probably the most conventional uh, Apatow film that's come out in a long time, but that's fine, uh, especially after stuff like. Does it run thirty minutes too long, like all it the other? It doesn't, Apatow films? and that's actually one of the, probably one, one of the most. <laughs> no, it's actually really it's it's probably the most well paced of any of uh, of any of his movies, but. Uh, you know, Amy Schumer works great in this. She's pair, she and Bill Hader work really well together. Uh, Bill Hader put him in in all of your comedies. The guy uh, he he can do drama fairly well because there you know I mean like most Apatow films there there are some moments of genuine uh, heartfelt uh, drama and emotion in here and he he does a good job with it. 
it was it was really funny. There there was some really good fun uh, funny parts in there. Never thought that I would walk out of a movie though saying I want to see John Cena in more comedies and LeBron James is actually a decent actor. I see Apatow for me. I mean, I'm always going to like and respect the guy, mostly from his TV side. I mean, I was a massive Freaks and Geeks fan. Uh, he also was involved with the Larry Sanders show. I mean, he's been involved in some fantastic television. Also, you know, uh, was a producer on Anchorman and, you know, some of my favorite comedies. But as far as his directorial career, I haven't been the biggest fan. I don't like 40-Year-Old Virgin that much. I really don't like Knocked Up. Um, I do like This Is 40. This Is 40 is probably my favorite Apatow movie that I've seen, and that's one that a lot of people shit on. So I don't I don't think I ever have... Uh, I, seen it. I don't think I ever saw that one. It's Being that I just turned 41, maybe it's because <laughs> I can relate to it. But uh, and even it's and even it has the extra half hour you don't need and some it's it's too long. I mean, it even it has some some of the Judd Apatow problems. But right. Again, I'm always, if you look at the guy's whole IMDb page, it's incredible. If you look at his direct again, the films he's directed, I, I've just never really been sold on the guy. And I like Schumer. I'm sure I'm going to watch Trainwreck at some point. It just it didn't feel like something I needed to rush out and see. I think most of his stuff is fine. Uh, it you know I'm certainly not one of those that. Watched his stuff and suddenly considered him like you know the next great all-time great uh, comedy director. But I mean, most of his stuff's been fine. This is probably, I think, this is probably his best film overall. You know, but yeah, it's it, it works. Right, it's well, good. If, you think, I, I if you think if it's his best movie overall, I'm gonna have to yeah, check it out. Yeah, I think so. So top movies for the summer for me, uh, Mad Max is there at the very top. The I think best. It's, I think it's I think it's pretty as about as close to perfect as an action movie can be. Uh, I think that I think it's an all timer. I think it's just absolutely great. Um, just absolutely amazing from an execution standpoint. Um, agree, agree, agree. I sure. think, I think that inside out is the better movie. I think like if, if I'm trying to look at this just strictly from an objective point of view, uh, or at least as objective as as one can be when it comes to this sort of stuff. Well, I mean, partially, uh, I mean, it's almost impossible to pit these two movies against each other. Anyway, right. they have nothing I, I in think, common. Well, but well, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not comparing Inside Out. I know, too. I know. But I'm right. Um, I'm just talking about I, from a standpoint. If you're trying to say which one would be better, it's nearly impossible right. to do. Um, they're trying I, I to achieve different things. But in, Inside Out is great. I would probably just in terms of personal preference, I would probably put Rogue Nation over it. Uh, I walked out of it. I mean, like I cried it inside out. I laughed. It's a great movie. It's easily top tier Pixar. My kids uh, are still making fun of me for crying. It, <laughs> uh, let me tell you, we went and saw Inside Out. Uh, we're sitting like this. It goes, my six year old is on my left, my wife is on my right, and my nine year old is on the other side of my wife. So she's two seats away. And at the point of the movie where the imaginary friend sacrifices himself so the joy can reach the precipice. My nine-year-old leans over, looks at me and starts saying like loudly so that our entire row can hear. And the people around us start saying, daddy's crying, mommy, daddy's crying. (laughs) But, uh, and I was, (laughs) but, uh, it's, yeah, it's excellent. It's an emotionally affecting movie. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, but yeah, I, in terms of personal preference and movie, like as far as a movie that I will watch Mission more Mid- often, sure, Rogue, Rogue, Rogue Nation sure. will be uh, is there. Um, 
I you know I put I put Ant Man in my top three. I mean, so so long as I can't uh, count Furious Seven. It, it came I, out like, in April. I, I know it's like it's like that Furious weekend. It's like the third week of April or the fourth week right. of April. It's so close. Um, if we count Furious, it's been a good summer for action films. Yeah, I, I think it's been a, a I think it's been a solid summer. Excepting the one that made a bazillion dollars. Oh God. But we we've exhausted to, again we shouldn't waste time hating on movies we haven't seen and we shouldn't waste too much time <laughs> hating on movies we have seen and gotten it out of our system already uh before we go Stu, what are you looking forward to the rest of the year movie wise what's oh man uh, i mean for me it's all about you know the force awakens and the hateful eight that's basically all i care about right now force awakens, i just want to get the star wars and the hateful eight but. Uh, Bridge of Spies, the new the new Spielberg. Yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Black Mass, uh, Johnny Depp finally yeah. giving a shit again. And these are all sort of Bridge of Spies might be October, but most of these are fall. And actually, the Hateful Eight, right. depending on where you live, you might not be seeing the Hateful Eight until January. Right. But the reason right. I ask is because we're we're kind of at the point now where I'm not excited to see much that's coming. I know I have Spectre. A, Spectre's coming out. Uh, yeah, but you know. Oh, shut up, you Skyfall <laughs> but, hater. But Skyfall. So uh, I'm actually really intrigued to watch uh, the Peanuts movie. Yeah, I am too. Everything uh, I've I think, seen, everything I've seen from it looks solid. I think that looks really sweet. But uh, it's just we have, you know, last August we had Guardians of the Galaxy, which everyone was crazy. Right. So we this well, August, we, we have the Men we, from Uncle or whatever next week, but I'm not. I don't really care. I might go to a screening, but I don't care that much about it. Right. Um, uh, we've got we've got another Pixar. We've, we've, it's a two Pixar year right. with uh, the dinosaur. We're probably gonna have a lot of two Pixar years from now on. I think they're probably yeah. to get to that, but I am fine with that. So uh, the other one, oh, um, uh, in the heart of the sea, that uh, the whale hunting movie with yeah. uh, Chris Hemsworth, that looks really good. So yeah, there's stuff coming. It's just yeah. it's going to be a couple months for it. We've kind of reached the end of the summer movie. Yeah, it's pretty now, much. And, the I, end. and I feel like it's just going to kind of limp through August. And uh, I, I I do want to see uh, Guillermo del Toro's big haunted house movie. Oh yeah, I forgot that was coming out. That I, looks really good. I haven't really been blown away by the trailers, but it's just a big baroque haunted house movie. It, it's so, a big baroque haunted uh, house, yeah, and I, with I, something I, like this, with Del Toro's commitment to right. to practical sets and everything, that's right. going to pay off in spades. So that might be the next one that's like, all right, I got to I got to get Tom this. Hiddleston. Uh, I mean, come on. All right, yep. Stu, we promised the people a full podcast, and we have delivered yep. unto them a full podcast. There we go. Thanks for joining me tonight, my friend. My pleasure. Um, we are going to be back. We'll be back soon. I don't like again since we're not excited about stuff. We might not be running out to do mini casts, but we're going to find some stuff to talk about, and we'll get a new we'll get a new show. To, we'll get a full show together sometime soon. That sound good, Stu? Sounds good to me. Uh, everybody listening, listen. It would be really great if you could follow us on Twitter at CultSpark. If you could follow, you know, follow us on Facebook at CultSpark. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. Write us a nice five-star review on iTunes. Anything you can do to spread the word would be great. We love getting the feedback and we love it when people listen and tell us they enjoy the show because we enjoy doing it for you. So more coming soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. <laughs>